again. It's Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, ever watch the cop show or movie where every gun has unlimited rounds with no reloading necessary? Ever see the criminalist show up in that crime or mystery novel and they can tell you the make, model, and year of the car just by the tread that it left in the in the tires, the, tri- the tread that the tires left in the mud. Well, of course, uh, we have some real uh, crimes that are solved, but not through intuition or hunch, but by uh, real painstaking investigation and science. And today we're lucky we have some real life crime scene mythbusters on the show. They have their own podcast out of Reno, Nevada called Coffee with a Criminalist. And it is a really fun one to listen to. And today we have Brittany Chilton, Bodine, and Darby Steinmetz and their co-workers in the DNA section of the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. And between the two of them, they have over 15 years of forensic DNA experience. And they both graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno. Bodine with her master's in biotechnology and Darby with her bachelor's in biology with a minor in analytical chemistry, combining their passion for forensic science with their love for educating the general public about their jobs. They came up with the idea for the podcast where they explain forensics in a casual and easy to understand way. This idea was collaborated on with management teams at the Washoe County Sheriff's Office and their podcast, Coffee with a Criminalist, was brought to life. And I've been listening to the show, and it's a good one. Welcome to Policing Matters, Darby and Bodine. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I I feel like I know you. I've listened to your podcast, (laughs) and I think the time has come for for real uh, experts to give uh, their perspective on these issues where, you know, to date we've had, um, you know, fireside experts and investigative journalists and, and the like uh, opining on on some things that really require expertise. Well, what's your podcast about? So our podcast is honestly, we created it because it kind of came out of COVID. So Darby and I both participate a lot in community outreach. And so we go to schools, we go to the university, um, we've done Girl Scout troops, conferences. Yeah, yeah we go to a lot of community outreach events. Yeah. And so because of COVID, we couldn't do that. And it was, I was really missing it. And I enjoy podcasts and I was listening one day and I thought, wow, this could be a really cool way that we could get our information about what we do out um, to our listeners and to the general public without even having to be in the same room with anyone, which works for COVID. And I just thought, you know, I I meet people and they want to know about our jobs, but they don't want to know like the technical nitty gritty. They want to know like what it's like and what it's like to be a forensic scientist. Yeah. And really with um, all this, you know, true crime and all these documentaries being so popular these days that we really thought this was a good opportunity to have people become more interested in our jobs and get a better understanding to even get an even deeper layer to these crime shows and these Mm -hmm. um, documentaries that they're always watching and always talking about. So we just thought that it was a good way to educate the public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I, I teach at a university and uh, a lot of students want to be cops, but another good percentage want to do investigations and they want forensics and they want to know what criminalists do. So I think you're a great introduction there. Um, 
Yeah. So, so what are your goals? Do you want to be, uh, do you just want to be sort of generalist to the public or do you want to be myth busters? Because you've, you've touched on some pretty good uh, details in your podcast. I'll let you take that, Darby. <laughs> Our goal is not to be mythbusters. No, um, it is really just about peeling back the layers of what we really do and all these misconceptions, because I think the public does have a lot of misconceptions um, because of these, you know, crime shows that you, they do stuff in an hour and that's not the way we do things, yeah. but um, to really just kind of show what it's like in our jobs because so many people think our jobs are so interesting. Bodine and I often talk about how when people find out that we're forensic scientists and criminalists that people are automatically like, oh my God, you just became 10 times more interesting to us <laughs> um, because of what we do and people are so interested in it. But I think they are interested because a lot of the misconceptions yeah. that they have. And so we kind of really just wanted to show what it's really like. And so together, people who may be interested in these fields, a good idea of what it's like and if they really do want to go in pursuing mm -hmm. forensics as a career. And so I think maybe myth busting just comes through being honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just our honesty about the job. So we're not trying to be myth busters, but I think that some, some myths may be debunked when you listen. <laughs> By shedding light on the truth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in one of your recent guests uh, from your FSI unit, your forensic science unit, she talked about 12 hour days and then, you know, going home, running, grabbing a bite to eat and then going right back to work the next morning. So, yeah, yeah. it's 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 apparent on your show that, you know, you're dealing with, you know, human beings and real life situations and not so glamorous and not so, you know, happy situations. And that's yeah. that's the stark reality of it. Mm -hmm. So what do you find as the most frequent urban legend or misunderstood concept of CSI? What are, what are people asking you about the most or what do they think that's really kind of wrong? Um, I think one of the things, and I actually had this misconception before I got hired. Um, one of the things, especially when you watch like CSI, when somebody is a suspect, they have like a holographic screen and they can pull the person up and they can find out their height, their weight, where they live, what their last five jobs yeah. are. <laughs> it's just kind of at their fingertips. And um, something that I found really interesting was, you know, obviously CODIS, the combined DNA index system is, is a real database. Um, and what I found interesting, what people like to learn, I think, is that we actually can't do that. Uh, it is illegal for us to just go in and mine the database. I can't go in and pull somebody out and just use their profile from CODIS in my casework. Um, I think that's one of the bigger misconceptions. And when we give tours, people find that very interesting that I, when we do get a hit in the database, I don't even get someone's name. I get a number and we have to have a separate database that connects the number to a name. And so I think that is kind of a big one that I found. Yeah, I think another really big one is the time that mm -hmm. it takes. And I think that is with everyone, um, is that the time that it takes for us to get results, especially if there's multiple sections involved in a case and evidence has to go through multiple sections, it takes time. And especially in DNA, you know, our process isn't, you know, you're not gonna get answers in five minutes or 10 minutes or even a day um, most of the time. So I think that's a really big misconception. And then also that we can just put like evidence through this computer and then all of a sudden it pops up with this name of our suspect mm -hmm. and that's not we we do have CODIS and stuff but a lot of the times you know we need reference samples and the police are the ones doing the investigating and coming up with suspects and then um, we're doing the analysis to compare to say like hey yeah your suspect matches this or no it isn't or 
Um, you know, and sometimes they have no ideas and sometimes we can't provide a lead for them at all. So, right. Yeah. Well, I would not have guessed that as the answer because in your last uh, episode, I heard that you do not test a, a, a sub, uh, one particular substance for DNA. Poo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't test poo. Um, and that's not to say that other labs don't do it or that you can't get a profile from it. You can. Um, it's just we at our lab do not do that. That's great. Well, I'm glad you said it because I didn't want to lead with, yeah, do you test poop for DNA? So <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, and, and another one I was thinking of, you know, you watch shows like CSI or Dexter. Dexter was one of my favorite shows and I guess they're coming back for another season. I heard and, that. Uh, you know, Dexter had all this stuff in his lab. They, he had a mannequin that was full of blood that he would hit with all these different weapons to, to check out the blood spatter analysis. Is any of that true? Do you guys have a mannequin full of blood somewhere? <laughs> so we actually don't do blood spatter analysis at our laboratory. Um, so there, that might be true at another laboratory, but we do have mannequins that we use. Um, and we use them when we're like recreating a crime scene for a trajectory. And we use them when we create, sometimes we do open houses and we'll have a crime scene set up. And so we have some mannequins for that. Yeah, we do have mannequins. Yes. Blood. Okay. Um, so I remember in our police academy when they told us that, you know, the decom decomposing body was tough to encounter in a closed space. And they suggested keeping a cigar in your go bag in the, in the event that you did go to one of these, you know, somebody laying there for a while. And I'm not sure, but maybe because I was new and cheap, but I bought a low quality cigar and after a few minutes, I wasn't sure what made me more nauseous, the, the decomp or the cigar. And in Silence of the Lamb and other uh, films, uh, they're smearing mentholatum under their nose. Is there a way that uh, you deal with those kind of situations? Well, I have to tell you, when you told me that you would bring a cigar to a crime scene, that made my DNA heart just <laughs> skip a beat. I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we do not do that anymore. Um, but I actually do use a salve. That, that's not entirely untrue. So there is a company called, oh gosh, I buy it from Rayleigh's. It's a grocery store here in town. It's called Zub Rub. Um, it has like some patchouli and some very strong um, scents in it. And mm. for years, I kept that in my drawer at work. And if I had a particularly smelly crime scene, I would put that inside my mask actually. And not on my skin, but in the mask, so that I could I could smell that instead of the decomposition. Yeah, I have I keep essential oils in my bags to put in my mask and stuff like that. I have to say, I've never heard the cigar thing, though. I've never heard that as a way. Well, that I guess I just showed my age because number one, yes, the cigar thing was an old thing, and also I don't think we were doing DNA back in yes the yeah exactly <laughs> so sorry about that well um i want to get into some other specifics but first i'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor police one.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news training and incident analysis our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety 
Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's policeone, the number one, dot com forward slash registration. And we are back and speaking with Darby and Bodine, the criminalists featured on the podcast Coffee with a Criminalist. And great show. Have you thought of debunking some of the misconceptions on a show? So early on, one of the earlier podcasts that I listened to was Serial. And they they talked about a specific case, uh, the Adnan Syed case, where they went through a series, I don't know, it was about 10 or 12 episodes, and then they the investigative journalists and some others debunked um, using uh, cell towers and uh, the timeline for uh, the declaration of death and things like that. Have you ever thought of taking a case, um, for instance, or, uh, or a situation where you knew the evidence was not portrayed as it should be? Actually, no. <laughs> because the time I think it would take to do that. Uh, so we we are allowed to dedicate about eight to 10 hours a week on the project. And usually it's about probably four is what we really get out of, out of the time. So, because we're focused on casework, but we did have an idea to do a case from start to finish um, where it comes in from like a 911 call all the way through prosecution. Mm. The thing about us, it's kind of weird situation is that we are full-time criminalists still still so that's our job is to be working cases that we can't talk about to the public um and so that are currently undergoing investigation so those are you know that's our priority and that's our our nine to five jobs and so this has kind of been a good outreach project for us so I don't think it's ever really crossed our mind to go through and try to debunk someone else's case yeah yeah. So, you know, I'm, I think about in particular, like the, the JonBenet Ramsey case mm-hmm. um, in the Denver area. And there were so many mistakes made that, um, you know, you can go back and see that there were things that were contaminated. There was a flashlight, I think, that was taken. Uh, there was a picture of uh, the crime scene and there was a flashlight that someone assumed that one of the police officers left on the scene. And then later, I think they figured out that it wasn't. And there was something about um, cobwebs over a window. They saw cobwebs and said, oh, they, the suspect couldn't have entered here. But then somebody else, I guess, I guess you guys pulled out a, a spider, put it in a jar to see how long it would take to make a web and figured out that it could have happened after the crime. So hmm. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm going to start my Learn own show. Coffee, coffee with a guy who knows criminalists. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, we're out of the debunking uh, business. Uh, What are you dealing with most up there in Nevada? Um, uh, You guys get some snow from time to time, gets cold, you're high desert. What are are your crime uh, series like up there? Um, I'm not really sure, like the crime series. We, right now, some issues that we're dealing with is vehicle burglaries. 
that's a big one that seems to be quite popular and it was popular over COVID. I know our sheriff's office did like a press release about that. Um, and then the other topic that, well, there's two other topics. Um, one being sexual assault is really big right now. Mm. Um, we have to get kits tested in 120 days as soon as they are delivered to the crime lab. Um, and the other one is some gun laws that really affects our firearm section and getting fired cartridge casings put into NIBIN in an appropriate time manner. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Well, the, the car break-ins is not surprising. I think it's San Francisco... A year ago, they had 41,000 in a year. Holy cow. I'm, yeah. sure I'm sure you're not dealing with that. No, that's yeah. a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a national issue on um, sexual assault um, samples and, and getting the, you know, the backlog done. So how are you doing that? Do you do it in-house or do you do, you do outside labs? Yes, we, it's kind of been a combination effort uh, here at our lab is that we have outsourced a lot of our backlog, but also that in combination with hiring um, several new analysts, new equipment, creating better efficiencies in-house has allowed us to um, essentially get rid of that backlog. So it was the combination of outsourcing and in-house things that allowed us <clears throat> to get rid of our backlog. And we actually, this week's podcast is about this topic. So if you're interested, you can listen and see how we're doing in Northern Nevada at least. Okay, for sure. I will. So uh, what kinds of technology are helping you most now? I remember Luminol being a breakthrough. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote this question down a few weeks ago, and then I heard the podcast saying, oh yeah, we used to do Luminol. So I guess it's not a breakthrough anymore. What, what are the current technology breakthroughs? Um, are you using things like Total Station to, or, or um, I guess they're calling it by other digital graphic 3D imaging of crime scenes and things like that. Are you using any of that? We are, um, well, we're not specifically. Yeah. Our FIS section is, and that was one of the biggest things when we went through our helper training, because we're helpers um, that go out and assist the FIS section now. But um, that Bodine and I were both just, our minds were blown with that because they do do that 3D imaging of crime scenes and essentially can recreate an entire crime scene um, and take measurements from it. They can view from certain vantage points. So if a witness has said that they were, you know, standing in a certain area, they can look from that exact area. Um, they can get a bird's eye view. It's really, really amazing technology. And we were both just kind of flabbergasted about it. And our FIS section was so just like nonchalant. They were <laughs> like, yep, we've been using this. And we we're like, what? Mm -hmm. This is like, this is so futuristic. Um, I relate it back to like open or reality. Now, when you do the like home tours, the sure. 3D home tours, that's pretty much what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing, especially for DNA is robotics. Mm -hmm. Robotics plays a massive role in especially efficiencies in the laboratory, um, and it takes out the human air component. So that's really helpful. Um, robotics is a big one. And uh, we do actually still do luminol. It's just in our laboratory, the, yeah, <laughs> luminols, are, people love luminol. Um, we just don't do it so much in our section anymore. It's been kind of taken over by our FIS team. And so when I first started working at the crime lab, that was something that I did. Um, yeah. 
It's just that uh, it's done by a different section now, not so much by us. But yeah, I would say for DNA, definitely robotics. And I think in other sections of the laboratory, like new imaging, just in general, like how good microscopes have gotten, uh, photography, capturing images. Yeah. And like software systems too Mm -hmm. have become a big part. Yeah. When you talk about robotics, are you talking about just the testing of chemicals or... Are you thinking about things like drones or robots to go into maybe? No, actually anything that an analyst can do manually, they have robots now that do it. So it's liquid Mm. handling systems. So instead of us manually, you know, we joked on one of our episodes that we are expert movers of small volumes of liquid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The robot does that now. And so it will normalize our samples. It can quant our samples, amp our samples. Um, The human interaction part is the loading and removing of samples and telling, you know, the robot like what to do, but otherwise it can do it all for us. And it's, very efficient, very fast. They can do way more samples than we ever could mm-hmm. at one time. Um, so, and that's something that we're kind of dealing with in our lab is just there's so many more people moving in. So we have a lot more cases. Um, so we are seeing a really big increase in the amount of cases that we see on a yearly basis. So we're having to turn to robotics and all these other efficiencies to keep up with casework. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And no backlash. Nobody's uh, challenging that in court. No, because it's so widely used in our field throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Um, I think probably the only thing I wouldn't call it backlash is we're moving towards probabilistic genotyping in DNA. mm -hmm. Um, It's where a software actually does the mixture deconvolution. And I wouldn't call it backlash, but anytime you introduce a new technology or a new method into the courtroom, you have to do um, more background on it. So Mm -hmm. it's just going to be not so much a hurdle, but it'll be more of us having to educate more than what we're used to. And explain a very complex thing um, to people who don't have a science background or may not have a science background. Um, So that can be challenging too. Yeah. Yeah, to lay down the foundation so yes. that jurors and judges could understand. Hey, it happened in the OJ trial with DNA. I don't know if you've gone over any of the, the old OJ Simpson trial, but um, that was really sort of the first shot fired in the in DNA being introduced to the public and the to the juries. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely it was one of the very first cases we always have to learn about. Yes. <laughs> Oh, really? Is it is that in Criminalist 101, OJ? It's in a lot of the textbooks. It comes mm-hmm. up often. Um, I think that trial was just so big for DNA, especially. Yeah. And just in the general public. So it definitely comes up in, in books and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I did take a, a forensic science, pretty much 101 course in college. Um, and that was definitely the, the case that we spent quite a bit of time going through. Yeah, I mean, I remember in in the court arguments, they were talking about, uh, you know, the the DNA changing because it was left out in in a car in the sun. And I think it was one of the prosecution uh, witnesses. um, He's a local guy. He he talked about, you know, you could leave DNA in a test tube and put it out in the street and let it bake and run it over with a car. And it's not going to change into oj simpson's blood correct it might <laughs> might damage it we might yes. not get very good results from it, it might but, get a partial profile yes. but 
still it's not going to change somebody else's D to D DNA. Yeah. Okay. So, so give us a, give us a hint. What's coming up? What, what are your future episodes that we could be stay tuning for? Ooh, so we have some good ones. Like one of the ones I'm really excited about is we talked through, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but we had the air races crash. There was a crash here a couple of years ago mm -hmm. um, that took quite a few people, took their lives. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a really big situation for us because it wasn't a crime scene. We weren't showing up to solve a crime. We were there to help the medical examiner's office um, figure out whose body parts, you know, belong to who and to ensure that, you know, they were identifying the correct people um, from the crowd. So that was a really, I think is a really cool episode. Yeah, and it shows people that we do more uh, for the community than just yes. crime scene work. Um, so we do respond to mass catastrophes, um, even when it's not in a criminal nature. So that's a big one. Um, we're going to cover the Brianna Dennison case. That was a really big case for our community. Oh, few years ago I was still in college like mm -hmm. 10 years or so ago yep so that one's coming up we have kind of a fun episode I think it's fun um about DUI I did not know what goes into DUI like um field sobriety testing and and all of that so we break down what happens if you are pulled over and suspected for being under the influence and you know what is going on on the side of the road what happens back at the jail um, that's kind of an interesting episode. Yeah. And then we're going to have an episode all about some of the new gun laws that have come into effect in the state of Nevada and how, um, our lab is dealing with those as well. That's great. Can't wait. Well, the DUI, I'll be especially interested. Um, I've written about, uh, field testing for, um, uh, THC and, and marijuana at, um, scenes where, Essentially, the courts have said that it's it's a, apparently the the officers' objective observations and the FST, the field sobriety test results, that would pretty much lay the foundation because there's really nothing yet that's reliable. Like a, in in alcohol, we have the preliminary um, screening devices that give you a, a pretty good ballpark estimate of blood alcohol content. But then you follow up with uh, blood, breath, or urine. Yes. What's happening? And that's actually what our episode is going to focus on is the alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where we went with that one. It was more of the alcohol DUI versus the other substances. Okay. And that was interesting too, because our breath testing was actually stopped completely for the state during COVID. Um, so we had this massive shift from doing these breath testing to everything now going through our toxicology section for mm -hmm. blood alcohol. Um, so yeah, that was a really big hurdle we had to. Yeah, with COVID nineteen. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how many agencies did that. that I, I don't know, and mm -hmm. I don't know that all agencies completely. Other, I don't even know that other agencies stopped their um, breath, breath testing program. completely. I'm not sure. Um, I just know that the state, state of Nevada, Nevada did. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, I didn't know that you did go to those mass casualty scenes and mm -hmm. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. Um, those things can, can weigh on you. Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about too, is potentially doing an episode on mental health and um, not 
not only just as a forensic scientist in the crime lab, but also law enforcement. Mm. Um, that's actually a topic that I am really passionate about. I got into teaching yoga as a form to try and bring mental health awareness to law enforcement. Um, I would say it went really well in the crime lab, not super well with law enforcement. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's a topic that we're quite interested in seeing how we can maybe visit that on the podcast at some point. Yeah. Well, it's really hard to do the downward dog with a gun belt. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Take that into consideration. (laughs) Hey, thanks so much. It was great talking with you. And, um, I look forward to hearing, uh, your episodes. You're on my podcast program list, so I'll be listening to you and hope to catch up with you soon up there in Reno. Thanks for being on Policing Matters, uh, Bodine and Darby. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Well, to our listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, what's happening at your crime lab? Uh, Is something interesting happening? Do you know enough about what's going on there? Well, give a listen to Coffee with a Criminalist and it might uh, make you aware of something that you're not aware of yet. So, Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, go to Apple and give us five stars. It really helps us. And if you want to get in touch with me or anyone from the Policing Matters team, send us an email at policingmatters at police1.com. That's police1, O-N-E. Drop us a line, share your ideas. Maybe you'll get in our mailbag episode. And uh, who do you want to hear from? What, what are the topics that most interest you? And I'll do my best to uh, make you happy. All right. I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Dudley.